Yeah, it's Saturday night. Here we are. Phone and a couch. Got a phone and a couch. What else do you need on a Saturday night? In today's world, they don't even want you to have anything else. They, they don't want you to have anything else. They want you, they want you sitting your ass on the couch with a phone in your hand. But, uh, my brain is just sore. It's not a headache. I just, my entire head is just sore. And, uh, it, 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 it kind of bothers you, you know, it, it kind of, you think like, the, oh, my head shouldn't feel this way. But you can, you can embrace it. And when you embrace it, you just, you feel so detached and dissociated. Like going to the store earlier and like looking around, I'm just like, there were people, there were, I went to Target like pretty late, like nine o'clock and, uh, they were just like big groups of Zomers, big groups of, I guess, like families. I don't, I don't even know. I can't even tell what a family is anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm only half kidding here. Like there was a big group of people and I think they were a family but I also couldn't tell if they were all the same age. Like I couldn't, I couldn't even tell if it was like parents and their four kids, or if what I was seeing was like brothers and sisters, or just a group of friends. I, I had no idea what I was even seeing. And everyone was like making a lot of noise. It was like I, I don't know. I guess when people go to Target in large groups at nine o'clock at night, they kind of it's kind of a party, and I wouldn't take that away from them. I wouldn't tell them to stop doing what they're doing, but it was just, it was so different than what I was doing. Like for me, it was just, I was just this solemn, I was like a gargoyle come to life walking around Target. I was just like, it's like somebody made a gargoyle, they, they made a gargoyle's legs able to move. The rest of me didn't move. I was still like a, gar a frozen gargoyle. In, the, in, in my upper body, just holding a shopping basket and walking around. I should start telling people that. How would you describe yourself? Well, I'm like a frozen gargoyle. My upper body is like a frozen gargoyle. It doesn't move. And I just walk around Target. I'm that frozen gargoyle. I'm that frozen gargoyle you see around Target. Not to be confused with one of the, the fat mannequins. But then, I don't know, there's been a couple things lately. Like yesterday I was walking through a park on my way home from the store. Life is just coming and going to the store. Coming to and leaving the store, just back and forth. But uh, I was leaving the store, cutting through this park on the way home, and there was a lady just, speaking of frozen gargoyles, like she was standing in the road, but kind of near the sidewalk. So not in the middle of the road, but just still standing in the road, but close to the edge of the sidewalk. And she had her, her knees slightly bent and her kind of tilted forward. Her head was tilted down and she had a lit cigarette that was more than halfway full. So she had to have been moving at some point. Like she had to have lit that cigarette at some point, but I could see her from far away. And from the time I saw her far away, to the time that I passed her 
to the time that I was like glancing behind me, she did not move. I thought like, oh, she, is this someone who has like heroin nods or something? No, she wasn't nodding. She was just totally frozen, staring at the ground with a lit cigarette in her hand. And her posture was just so weird. I couldn't tell if she was doing it for attention. I mean, I don't know what drugs do now. Like, I don't know if, if there are weird batches of street drugs that cause you just to freeze in place. Not nod off. Not look like you're in a daze, but to literally like lock into this frozen position where your knees are slightly bent, you're tilted slightly forward, your head is tilted down, your hands are straight down to your sides. It's not a natural position. Like she had to choose, like whether it was a drug choosing for her or not, she had to make some sort of decision to lock her body in that exact that exact position that that kind of posture it's not a natural pose i mean it, it was i mean it's, it was obviously drug and or mental illness related but it just it really threw me for a loop because yeah you know i see all kinds of people doing all kinds of things at this point even in my neighborhood which is like the suburbs meet you know slightly rural areas like the suburb meets the forests and the farms it's basically kind of where i live but uh that said, like I see, I see crazy people every single day. Like every time I leave the house, even in the suburban forest meets the farms, whatever the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh, even in this area, like I see this kind of shit all the time. But this one threw me for a loop just because her pose was so unnatural. I was a little worried because she was in the road. And just she was locked in place, just locked. And then today I went to the school to take Batty for a walk and... I get there and there's a guy with a metal detector in the college parking lot and he's like, he's, he's taking it along the strips of grass, like the little medians of grass that are between parking places, like the two different rows of parking places face each other. And then in between them, there's just a little median of grass. It's not like shit is getting buried there. It's not like people are dropping tons of stuff there. I mean, I guess it's a creative idea. Like, oh, maybe people drop stuff onto these little medians of grass on their way to school when they're rushed. But I mean, first of all, like for somebody to not notice something they drop, I don't know, it just it didn't make any sense to me that there would be hidden jewels a metal detector would be picking up on the medians in a college parking lot. I mean, maybe it's, a, it's one of those things where that's either an ingenious idea I can't quite decide. That's either an ingenious idea, like he's going to find all kinds of treasures there, or it's just the, it's the worst idea you could possibly come up with, like just walking around a college parking lot with a metal detector. Can't quite decide. But he wasn't even the weirdest part. Like I saw him and I was just like, that's a, a first for me. I've never seen a guy with a metal detector in a college parking lot going on the medians of grass where nobody even walks. Like people park and then they walk through the parking lot. They don't park and walk along the grass anyway. A lot of holes in his ingenious idea. And not the good kind of holes. Not the kind of holes that a metal detector digs up. But uh, I, when I got to the front of the school, like the, just on a bench, there was one dude, and I could tell he was off right away, but he, he was holding a stick, 
I thought it was a fishing pole. The way he was holding it and just the way it looked from far away, it looked like a fishing pole, but it was just a really long, thin stick. Like he found it. And he was doing something, kind of just staring into nothingness while he's holding this fake fishing pole. And then right down in front of him is presumably his friend laying on the concrete sidewalk face down. Just completely face down with his backpack on. So he's laying face down with his backpack on. And he has his, he has his hands and arms like up around his face as sort of a makeshift pillow. But there's no way this is comfortable. Like just laying face down on a dirty ass sidewalk. And then one of his shoes is off and the other one's on. I mean, he was obviously fucked up. But he had to be so fucked up early in the day at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon at the college to be willing to lay face down on the dirtiest concrete where everybody walks going to and from the parking lot while his friend sits there with like a fake fishing pole. Like it, it was just a weird duo. And you don't see people like that. You know, the college here, it's not like a university in the city where there's just people hanging out there all the time and you see all kinds of weird people. At the college here, I mean, it's kind of on its own in the middle of nowhere. You know, yeah, you see like stoners, you see you see fuck ups and people, but like you, you typically see either people who are just there to enjoy the outdoors, like people who are there to use the trails or the sports stuff. Or you just see students or faculty. Like, it's not a place where you go and you see, like, fucked up guys. Like, you don't go to this college and see, like, anybody passed out publicly. Like, yeah, maybe if you wander through the dorm rooms, you'll see that. But you're not... And these guys are old, too. Like, these are older guys. Like, they did not belong at the college. And they were just so fucked. Luckily, neither one of them was frozen. I mean, they kind of were, though. They weren't standing frozen in place like the the gargoyle I saw yesterday. But they were still. Like one of them was sitting and the other one was laying face down. But I'm just wondering if some batch of drugs made its rounds. Which, you know, this sounds like something somebody who's never done drugs would say. Oh, this must be a batch of drugs. Looks like a batch of drugs made its rounds. But it's true. I mean, you, you see that happen. Like a while back, a couple years ago... On the same day, like in the same short amount of time, I saw two guys fucked up on meth in a row, and they weren't with each other. Like they were, there was enough distance between them to where I knew they weren't with each other, but I saw them within a short amount of time, and they were, they were, they had both clearly just gotten high, and both of them were like walking uncontrollably, like, like not quite zigzag, but like to the left really hard like almost like walking zigzag but like listing to the left and you could tell they couldn't control it it was like whatever was going on with them was forcing them to almost walk sideways and forward at the same time and they were laughing about it like they you could tell they had no control whatsoever over just this total malfunction of the body forcing them to walk sideways and i was like oh they must have i, I bet they smoked the same thing as probably some batch that's that makes you walk sideways, which again sounds like commentary from someone who's never done drugs. Like I've never smoked meth, but uh, I probably sound like an idiot. People who have actually smoked meth are probably like, "It doesn't do that." 
it's like back when people used to talk about weed and be like, dude, there's a pink elephant behind you. Dude, oh, you're you're high on weed, dude. There's like a pink elephant hanging out behind you. Don't look now. You paranoid? You paranoid? Pink elephant's gonna get you. Like the way the way people who have never smoked weed used to make fun of weed smokers. Like people who have no idea what it's like. I mean, I talked to a sixty-year-old man the other day. He's never been drunk. He drinks like a beer at a time, which blows my mind. That he's like six in his sixties, and his entire life he he'll drink like a beer at a time, but he's never been drunk in his life, and I believe him. But then he's never been stoned, of course. And he was asking me, he asked me what what it feels like, and that's so hard to describe. Like, how do you explain to somebody who's never smoked weed what it feels like just to be stoned? But, I mean, it's it's experiential, and, I mean, that's how most things are. You know, you can't actually explain what something is like unless you've had that experience. It's knowledge. And in this case, I'm literally talking about, like, knowing what it is like to be stoned. Like, knowing what that feeling is. It's gnosis. It's gnosis. But how do you tell somebody who's never even been drunk? Like, because I remember like people, like open-minded parents who had never been high, but like to have a beer, like the kind of question they would ask would be like, is it kind of like being drunk? And it's not at all, but it's the closest comparison I guess they have. Like, yeah, it's like being inebriated, but there's no comparison to being drunk. But then someone who's never even been drunk, like, he can't even use that shitty comparison. There's no way to actually communicate that. You just know it when you feel it. Like, if somebody dosed you, and you didn't know that they dosed you, if you've been high before, at some point, it might creep up on you, and you might not know right away. But chances are, if you know what it feels like to be high, you're going to suddenly be like, okay, I'm high. Like, somebody dosed me. But I wonder, like, someone who's never been high, I wonder how that would work. Like, like uh, I used to work at a place where there was this giant vat of coffee. Like, somebody would make this huge vat of coffee in the morning, and everybody would just drink from this vat. They had a dispenser. Everybody would just drink from this big, the same vat of coffee. And, like, what would happen if you just poured, like, a tincture into that? And I'm not saying I'm going to do this. I'm not saying that I, I've done this. I would never do this to someone. But it does make me curious, like, what would happen? Is it just an experiment in the name of science? Since everybody, you know, since people do awful things in the name of science all the time, this one doesn't seem too bad. But, like, if you took one of those, because they sell those, like, $100, or not $100, 100 milligram bottles of THC. It's like an elixir. What are they... It's like a, a, a tincture. That's what I just called it. It's like a, a hundred milligrams in a little bottle. And it comes with a little dropper. Like what if you drop just a hundred milligrams into a big vat of coffee? It's going to be pretty well dispersed. Like it's in a big thing of coffee. You're probably not going to get very much THC. I don't know. But if somebody's never been high before. 
and you're ingesting it pretty quickly with coffee, like what's that going to do? I wonder, you know, after a couple hours of people, especially like that person who drinks like four, like me, or like I'll just drink four or five cups of coffee first thing in the morning. But that'd be kind of amazing to be sitting there at work and two hours go by and suddenly everybody starts feeling just a little bit weird. Chances are it's not going to hit anybody too hard, too quickly, but just a little bit. I wonder what that would do. But uh, to someone, especially someone who's never been stoned, like what would that feeling be to them? Would they think they're sick? Would they even notice at all? Because the first couple times I got stoned as a kid, as a teen, a young teenager, like 13 years old, looking back, I don't even know if I was stoned or not. You'd think I would know, but looking back, I'm not even sure if I was or not. I know that I felt weird. I know that I acted like I was stoned, but I don't, I couldn't actually tell you. I couldn't actually tell you if I actually got high because the experience was enough. I mean, there was obviously a placebo effect. There was another time, I think probably the, because I almost got in trouble, like when I was 12 or 13, I almost got in trouble for smoking weed. A teacher overheard me and told my, told my mom about it and she confronted me. <laughs> but uh, a couple years after that, I had just gotten my license. So it might've been like three years later. My friend and I went to the grocery store in the middle, of the, not middle of the night, but fairly late. And uh, we ran into these two kids we weren't even friends with, but they were known stoners. They were just sort of these known, like they, they were the archetypical, archetypal losers. Like they made it known they just smoked weed and had no intention of doing anything ever. And they were buying like a big two liter bottle of pop. And my friend just asked them, like, do you guys have weed? And they were like, yeah. And so we went up to this abandoned parking lot above the grocery store. Like, there was this rickety old staircase that went up uh, basically a cliffside, just like a rock wall. And at the top of this rickety old staircase was just an empty parking lot. And we, uh, I guess, I don't, I think we smoked out of something. I mean, I don't remember if it was a pop can or an actual pipe or what. But I remember trying to drive home because I definitely got stoned that time. And I had just gotten my license, so it was the first time I ever drove stoned. And that was really weird. You know, it's it's silly to say, but it really did feel like I was in a land speeder. It really did feel like I was in a Star Wars land speeder. And I just had to be very conscious of the ride home. I mean, there were times in high school where I got so stoned uh, that like, I was driving and I was just like, I felt like I was just jerking back and forth. I felt like I was just jerking the wheel back and forth while driving like two miles per hour. But this first time, I just kind of, I knew I had to do it. So I just did it. And then my buddy and I went for this really long walk 
all over town while we were stoned. And I don't remember any of it. Except we went to this beach and it was late at night. And there's like, a, it's, it's this, these stairs descend down to this beach. That's a popular beach, but at night, like it's like a, a lover's lane. Couples go there and make out on the dock and they park their cars and that kind of thing. And we saw there were all these couples out on the, it's kind of like a, uh, a loop. It's not a dock that just goes straight out. It's kind of like a loop that like comes out and then it goes around and then there's like water inside the loop and then there's, and then there's the water, the lake is on the outside. So this loop kind of goes around and along the loop, there are all kinds of little like benches and, uh, I guess little like tables built in and we could see couples and like candlelight and everything. Like this is a real place, like a real lover's lane sort of place. And we focus on this one couple and it's two girls. It's lesbians. And they were making out. And like we couldn't see who they were or like make out their features. And it, it wasn't even like us being like, oh, dude, it's fucking lesbians. It's so fucking hot, dude. It was more just we were so removed. We were so dissociated and we just couldn't believe our eyes. That we were just sitting like creeps on this staircase, just stoned, watching these couples make out. And we just happened to catch two lesbians in a small town, you know, in a, in a town that's like, it's not like there's gay people everywhere. This was their midnight rendezvous at the beach at Lover's Lane. But we walked back and like, later my friend said, like, you were an asshole. I have no recollection of it. But he said like everything that he said... I like naysayed and argued against. And I can believe that. I mean, I still do that. <laughs> but uh, I knew I was stoned because I had no recollection. Like apparently I was just, my brain just kind of entered this weird automatic zone where I was just like, uh, no, it's not that way because it's this. No, it's not that way because it's this. Because it, see, the thing is, but anyway... Talking to a guy recently who is 60 years old, never been stoned, which isn't surprising, but the never been drunk gets me too. Because I do relate to people better when I know they've kind of existed in a different state of mind at some point. I mean, I perfectly respect somebody for being sober their entire life, but it blows my mind. I can't imagine never experiencing something else. Like I think about the one of the first times that I got legitimately drunk. It was the same friend that I was just talking about. His parents always had uh, tons of alcohol, nice, expensive alcohol. And so we would just swig a little bit. But this time we took this expensive bottle of tequila. And I don't think we knew how expensive it was, but it turns out it was extremely expensive. And he just kept telling me, take a shot. Like we were drinking straight from the bottle and he just kept telling me, take another shot. And I must've taken like seven in a row, like an insane amount. I mean, I, they must've been spaced out a little bit, but I didn't get sick. I think like it was, it was kind of a mind over matter thing. Cause I don't think that I knew how much alcohol would get you drunk. Like I'd had beers before. I don't even know if I'd had hard, hard alcohol. But it was, I think that like my mind didn't know that seven shots in short 
succession would potentially make you very ill. But I know that I I got extremely drunk and it was hallucinogenic because we left his house and he lived by our old elementary school and it had a woods attached. And I, I still remember walking through those woods and then going to the playground and I was I was so out of control. Like I was so drunk and I wasn't falling. There was none of that. That's the amazing thing. It's like I just experienced like peak drunkenness without getting sick, without falling. I'm sure I was stumbling around, but it's like it, it was like the perfect amount or something. But the way everything looked was so insane. Like the way the playground looked at night, it truly felt like a hallucination. It felt like a hallucination and just experiencing that. Like I, what I remember about that is like knowing how different reality felt. Like being like, oh, this is what it means to be actually drunk. This isn't just stealing a beer and pretending to be drunker than I am, which is pretty much what I had done before that. This is being drunk, and it's like I'm in a completely different world that's kind of familiar. But as you get used to alcohol, it's not really, it doesn't quite take you out. But just that experience, that first time being drunk, if you told me that I was on some hard drug, if you told me that I was on some unknown hallucinogen, I would have believed it. I would have been like, okay, yeah, this is acid. Oh, this is a new form of acid. And that was because it hit me so quickly. Like if I had been taking shots like one per hour, but because I drank so many shots straight from the bottle in a row, it was like I, my body had no time to adjust to the fact that I was completely drunk. I think it's the same thing like the first time you get high and you know you're high. I don't know about those first couple times. Like I wouldn't be able to tell you if I was high. I thought I was high. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was, but that first time that you're legitimately stoned or you haven't been stoned in a while and you're just, wow, here it is. Oh, we're here. Oh, we're here. Oh, I I remember this. Start thinking about all that crazy shit you were up to when you were 100% sober. That's what happens to me. I start thinking about like all the the wild thoughts. Like, I mean, if you do a freaking podcast, torture. Why was I saying that? Why did I say that about that? Why did I say that about him? Why did I think that? But uh, I don't know. It's, it's weird to me that there are people who have never been anything except sober. They're living in a different reality. And I do notice that someone simply having the experience, like they don't have to have abused this stuff or anything like that, but someone simply having that experience, I I do think that it does open their mind a little bit toward different subjects. Like even something research-based, like, I don't know, there's a guy that I know, he's a Mormon and I respect his faith and everything. He's extremely opinionated. Like most Mormons you, need, you meet, you need, 
most Mormons that I've met are very easygoing and fun. Like there was a group of them in my high school and they were really nice guys. Like some of them played sports, some of them skateboarded. I seriously couldn't even dream of a bad thing to say about them. And I know that's kind of a stereotype or a cliche, but that was my experience. They were legitimately so nice and they were fun and you could joke around with them too. Like they had good senses of humor. I'm sure not all of them, but this group of guys I knew, they were Mormon, but they, they were fun. They were Mormon, but they were fun. But there's this Mormon guy I know now, probably one of the least fun people. So argumentative, so closed-minded. And the thing is, I actually do like him. I don't hate him or dislike this guy, but it's like he's so dogmatic. His thinking is so one-dimensional, and he's very smart. So when I say his thinking is one-dimensional, I'm not saying he's stupid. This guy is very, very smart, but it's a one-track mind. It's like a one-track intelligence where it's like he can only think in one dimension. And anything that falls outside of that, he's rudely dismissive of. But if you just if you just like recognize that's how he is, he's pretty easy to get along with. But uh, he's of course been sober his entire life. Like being a, a devout Mormon, he's been sober his entire life, and you can tell. Like, you can tell nothing has ever happened in this guy's brain that has changed his perception of reality. Not that I think you need drugs to do that. I mean, religion can do that for some people. But he doesn't even, and I I hate to ever assume anything about somebody else's religion or spirituality, but he's someone who was born into it. It's, It's what his community is based on. And I've never gotten the impression that he has particularly strong faith himself I think it's just the world he grew up in I don't want to assume that but it just seemed that's kind of my impression but uh, no he's been sober his entire life I know that for a fact and like nothing has ever taken him out of that I mean, even though I got blackout drunk way too much, and it's one of the reasons I quit drinking, is that I was blacking out almost every time I drank. I think getting blackout drunk a couple times is actually good for you. Because the first time that happens to you, you're, you're amazed. You just wake up in the morning. And you might feel like shit, or you might not. But you just wake up in the morning. And you realize, like, oh, I went to that party. I know I went to that party and I teleported here. And then the whole morning you're like remembering bits and pieces in reverse. And you're like, I did a bunch of things. I interacted with people. But I wasn't there. Like who I am right now wasn't there. And you have to kind of make sense of that. And for me it caused me just, it was torture. When I started getting blackout drunk all the time, I would wake up, I would look at my phone. That's the first thing I would do. I would look at my phone to see what pictures I took, who I may have messaged, 
And then I would often, if it was a particularly bad night, I would message whoever I was hanging out with and not apologize, not be like, oh, dude, I got so drunk last night. I'm so sorry. Oh, man. I would kind of uh, test the waters. I'd be like, oh, how's it going? Good to see you last night. Hey, how you, how you doing? Good to see you last night. Good to see you. Good. To... Now, I'd say something like just, oh, hey, that was fun. Ha, ha, ha. And then if they said, yeah, you were fucked up. Oh, I'm glad you got home okay. You'd know that, yeah, you were you were fucked up, but it would be a good way of like making sure you didn't say anything too bad. I mean, that was a problem for me with uh, this girlfriend of mine who barely drank. Meanwhile, I was at like peak drinking, like when I was drinking all the time. And uh, I mean, not, not all day, every day, but just getting very drunk was a regular part of my week. And uh, that was trouble because I was, she, since she was my girlfriend, I was more comfortable around her. And when I would drink, I would kind of like to give her a hard time, not in a mean way, but just be a little more provocative, which is not a good recipe. Like when you're drunk, your girlfriend, your girlfriend's not drunk. And you're trying to be cute by saying provocative things. Like, not provocative sexually. I mean, like, statements about the world. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, cultural commentary here. <laughs> like, oh, did you hear about this? What do you think of that? Oh, well, I think this. Uh, I don't even know what it was. I remember, like, the day that... Uh, the day that... Uh, a terrorist crashed a lorry, a lorry in France. I think a, a terrorist crashed a truck into a bunch of people in France and killed them. I was at the bar that day, started drinking early. And these two military guys were in the bar talking to this like dude with a ponytail who made electronic music. And I was just listening to their argument. And it was in response to the fact that this terrorist, you know, killed people with a truck in, in Europe. And the military dudes were like, just admit it, dude. Just admit it. Like, uh, Islamic terrorists are the most violent. And the little dude with the ponytail was like, white people are the most violent. So they're having an argument basically over whether white people were more violent than other people. I don't even think it was as... Uh, it, it wasn't even as offensive as I'm making it sound. I mean, it's going to be offensive no matter what. But I don't remember the military guys saying anything like, all Muslims are terrorists. I think it was kind of framed around... I think they were talking about the terrorist attack, and it was an Islamic terror attack. And the little dude with the ponytail, who I kind of knew, I'd met him a few times... I think that he, uh, I think he just kind of made the assertion that like, oh, well, white people are the real terrorists, which, you know, you can make an argument for that, you know, beyond the posturing of saying things like that, you could make an argument that there's a lot of white terrorism. Like when you think about what the U S army does, think about us doing drone strikes and killing 10 people just on our way out of Afghanistan, 10 innocent people. What is that? That sounds like terror to me. But they were having this argument about, you know, 
white terrorism versus other terrorism. And the military dudes were like, I don't think white people are the most dangerous terrorists or something to that effect. And like, I got just drunk enough to wander over to them with a little smile on my face. And I said, white people are very violent, but it's, it's methodical. And that seemed to satisfy everybody. Every, like, like the little, uh, the little dude, with the ponytail, who was obviously very liberal, these like probably somewhat conservative military dudes, they all seemed to like nod in agreement when I said that. I was like, white people are very violent, but it's, it's very methodical. And then I, I started talking to them. I was like, whether it's a, uh, a serial killer or whether it's a government. It's like white people are violent, but it's a very methodical violence. And you might think that's me saying, it's, is that a good thing? I don't think we're talking about the realm of good things here. If we're talking about violence, I don't think there's any better way to do it. When I say white people are more methodical, I'm not complimenting white people. It just seems to be more cold and methodical. Cold and methodical. Cold and methodical. But what was funny is it seemed to satisfy everybody present. Me just being a drunken fool, like butting into a conversation. It was like that shut everybody up. They seemed to be something they could all agree on. But like two hours later, and my girlfriend came to pick me up and I was just tanked out of my mind. And I started talking to her about, I don't know, probably the, the truck attack in Europe. Who knows what I said? I know I was crying at one point. I know she took me back to my house and I was just crying. Not about anything personal. It was about like the world. I was like crying about terrorism or something. I don't I, I honestly would not be able to tell you what it even was. And I probably wasn't even being honest with her about why I was crying. It's probably crying about terrorism, but claiming to be crying about something else. Terrorism makes me cry. I'm just sitting here crying about terrorism. Crying about terrorism. Crying about terror. Crying about terror. I'm just sitting here crying about terror. I feel like that could be worked in. I could workshop that and do a tune. I won't do that here. I'm just sitting here crying about the terror. Can't quite find the tune. It's not worth it. It's what we call not worth the workshop. It's not worth workshopping that. Uh, you're working on a, a, a bit here. It's not even worth workshopping. Be a good insult. It's not even worth thinking about. There was a there's a country song I played on an old every night's a school night. I mean I've really I've forgotten about every night's a school night. But uh, th there was an old country song. It was I think it's called I've Never Been Sober. So it's kind of the opposite of that dude, those dudes that I know. 
the Mormon dude, and then my my older friend, these dudes who uh, have never not been sober. But some people, they've never been sober. Dude, I've never been sober. Born with a bottle in my hand. Now, I don't even feel sober these days. Even when I'm like being at the store, being 100% sober, I'm just in a daze. My brain is just fried. I, I really do feel that way lately. Like, I don't even know if I'm saying stupid shit, entertaining shit. You know, I have no idea anymore on here. Like, my brain's just fried. Like, if you want to know what afraid, uh, afraid, a fried and frayed brain sounds like, this is probably it. I just like, I just peer out into the world and I'm just like, wow. That's my go-to response is, wow. <laughs> like, I... Walking around the grocery store, seeing mobs of people, I just say to myself, wow, whoa, oh, there's a lady just standing like a frozen gargoyle in the street, whoa, wow, go to the college, two guys just like frozen, one's on the ground, one's holding like a fake fishing pole, wow, wow, wow. What else do I have? All there is le- all that is left is just to be amazed. I was amazed the other night. I, I meditated pretty seriously, like more seriously than I've done in quite a while. Got into a pretty deep state. And then as I was coming out of it, my mind just flashed to this diner here that my mom used to love. My mom and I would go there. Like when we were having a nice mother-son lunch, we would go to this diner pretty far out there, out in the middle of nowhere. But it was right next to a, a pretty well-known local seafood company. So this diner would have really good seafood. And my mom would always order the razor clams, which was one of her favorite things in the world. My mom just loved razor clams. So at this diner, she would always get the razor clams. And my mind just flashed to that. I was like, oh yeah, you know, I haven't thought about that diner in two and a half years. I haven't thought about how much my mom loved razor clams since well before she died, you know? And then I go downstairs and I see that I have a message from my sister and I don't hear from her a lot. And she says, oh, a friend dropped off some razor clams for us today. And so we're having them tonight and thinking about mom. Wow. <laughs> Legitimately. Wow. <laughs> like, I just happened to think about my mom's love of razor clams and how she used to have them at this diner. I hadn't thought about that in over two years. I meditate, I think about that, and I go downstairs, and like right away, my sister sends me a message. You know, we didn't, there's no way either of us could have known. There's no way either person could have put that in each other's head. Her friend just happened to bring her razor clams, which it's not like they're eating those all the time. And she thought about, mom while she was eating them good razor clam synchronicity right there wow that's all that's left all that's left is to be amazed being amazed is different than being impressed
Being amazed. I mean, you can be amazed by everything, good and bad. And you see anybody out and about. Wow. Look at them. I mean, that's what old people say. That's what like old men say. Like when you go to a a professional sports game with your grandpa as a kid, he just kind of says, look at them. Look at them. Wow, look at that. I'm starting to understand that. Like the world starts moving a lot quicker than you move. And all that's left to do is just kind of look at what's going on around you and go, oh, wow. Oh, my. Wow, look at that. Can you believe that? That's where I'm at. Can you believe that? Wow. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.